Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. Good evening. How are you guys? You guys doing good? Yeah? So as Courtney said, we're going to do something a little differently tonight. So go ahead and grab your phones. Everybody grab your cell phones. Call me. Grab your cell phones. I want everybody to open up your text messages, and I want you to text the following phone number, 81010, all right? If you've already done this, you'll get a little alert that says you're already in, but I want you to text 81010, and here's the message, at LP Citizens, okay? And so all throughout tonight, uh, yeah, Lila's, Lila's right here. She's handing out um, notes. If you do not have a cell phone, where are you? Let me see you. Hey, that's okay. You can still ask questions. You can still be part of the conversation. Uh, you're just gonna write on the piece of paper. It's like super old school, but back in the day, people would write with like this ink stuff on paper and then hand it in. It's weird, but how many of you guys have like Chromebooks and iPads at school? Dude, is it true that the school wants every single one of you to have your own Chromebook? That's sick. Is it pretty cool? You guys like them? All right. So, hey, throughout the night, if you have questions, if you have questions after you texted it, did it work here? Let's see it. Did you do it? Did it say, hi, welcome. I'm your friend. Did it say that? All right. So you text that friend. So whoever texted you back, the mysterious man behind the curtain, you're going to text him. And so everybody right now, let's practice. Uh, Say, I have a question. Like not out loud, like text. (laughs) I have a question. Did you hear me? It's not the way cell phones work. Um, so type it in there and then, uh, afterwards, my friend Courtney will come up. My lovely assistant will take out the, uh, the questions and we'll talk about them. So does that sound cool? Is that okay? Are you guys, are you guys down with that? Do you guys like question and answer stuff? Yeah. Would you guys prefer to be brainwashed? Anybody? Dude, you guys are, where are you guys today? What, what is going on? All right, let's get started. Open up your Bibles. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter five. Everybody say Matthew. Matthew. Everybody say five. five. All right, let's bring it in. Here we go. How many of you in this room, if you're being honest, all right, I don't, don't, don't worry about your image. Don't worry about what your friends will think if you admit this. I want you to be honest with me. How many of you are always down for a good debate? You're, you're like, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you like a good debate. All right. There's some age old debates out there. Are there not? Right. There are some debates that have been going on for centuries, perhaps millennia or maybe just decades, whatever. But there's some debates that like when you're in school or maybe you're on the school bus, like it doesn't take long for you throughout your educational career to get involved in one of those. You know what I mean? And like, and then you have to decide. So for example, do you believe in nature or nurture? What, what are you guys at? Where are you in that? What are they teaching you kids in the schools these days? You believe in nature? Okay. How many of you believe in nature? You believe, do you not know nature versus nurture? You guys don't. All right. I'm not even going to bother. I'm not even going to bother. I'm just going to skip it. We'll move to a new one. How many of you believe that there are life on other planets? Age old debate. Age old debate, five of you believe in life on other planets. Have you seen life on other planets? What makes you believe that there's life on other planets? Because there's billions of other solar systems and planets. There's no way scientifically that there could not be. I disagree with you. Welcome to the debate. Oh, nice. Okay. How many of you believe in Bigfoot? Any Bigfoot fans in here? Okay. You've seen him? (laughs) Okay. All right. Here's another heavier one. Here's another heavier debate. You're in school. Maybe when you get to high school, you get into an ethics class or American Gov, right? Because nobody's doing Chinese Gov. (laughs) That would be dumb, right? Welcome to America. So you're doing like Gov or something. And the question is this. Is world peace possible? Is that? You don't think, what? World peace is not possible? 
You guys are such pessimistic little hellions. Yeah. Okay. I'm really surprised that nobody knows about nature versus nurture. Really? A little bit. All right. Well, hey, here's what we're going to do. Eyes up here. Shh, shh, shh. Everybody, give me, give me a snap. Give me a snap. Just one. All right, I like this. All right, at least you're with me. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up the Bible. We're going to look at Jesus teach us two things. He's going to teach us the design of marriage. And then he's going to teach us the destruction of marriage. We're going to talk about the design of marriage and then the destruction of marriage. But if you are going to understand Jesus' teaching, if you are going to even have a chance to interpret this passage and understand what he's getting at, you need to be brought into the conversation of an ancient debate. And so for a few moments this morning, we just need to have a debate. Is that cool? Can we do that? This, is it morning? It's morning somewhere. All right, here we go. Here we go. Starting, starting in Matthew, Matthew chapter five. Title of my message today is Breaking the Knot. Breaking the Knot. So here we go. Talking about some debates. It was also said, I'm sorry, let me, let me stop. When Jesus gave this message, remember, where, what position was Jesus in? He was sitting and the people that were listening were so show me. Let's get biblical here. Come on. Stand on your feet, please. Thank you. All right. No, no. Stop it. Sit back down. Sit back down. Let's try this again. Jesus walks onto the scene. Jesus walks in and he goes, you guys want to learn something? Thank you. Here we go. This is Jesus speaking. And it was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Okay, this is the first verse. There's two verses today, and we're going to go back and forth between 5 and 19. Take a seat. Look at it. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Here's what's going on here. This is what a certificate of divorce is. Back in Deuteronomy, we're going to read this. Check it out. This is very careful. And, and today may feel very lectury, but tell you what, we're gonna take 30 minutes at the end and we're just gonna talk about application stuff. So let me just give it to you really clear. Let me show you Jesus' teaching here about divorce and then we'll talk about it. So this is what it says. When a man takes a wife, put that to music, right? When a man takes a wife and he marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And he writes her a what? A certificate of divorce. And he writes her that certificate and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And she departs out of his house. He's talking about divorce here, right? Sends her out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, but then the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife. What in the world is happening? Ancient Israel. God is teaching his people how to be the kingdom of God. And he's going through and he's doing like these like bomb commandments, right? Everybody's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, don't steal. And everybody's like, yeah. And he's like, don't kill. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't commit adultery. Yeah. Honor your mother and father. Yeah. No. Oh, <laughs> don't get struck by lightning. This is borderline blasphemous, right? And so he gives all these commandments and he gives all these instructions. And then he gets to a part of the law where it's like, these are the kind of verses that people read twice. And they're like, yeah, certificate of divorce. What's happening here? This is what he's saying. If you marry a girl, okay? If you marry a woman and you send her away, which is, that's just bad. This is sin. This is breaking the design. But we see God is introducing what I call like a sin management tool, right? Can I use that word? Like he's putting some guardrails on what could potentially be an even more disastrous situation. 
So he's being super practical. God is like being nitty gritty. He goes, listen, ah, if you're going to divorce your wife, give her these papers. And here's why. When you understand why God did it, it's actually beautiful. Number one, it protects the woman. So now the woman, she's, getting, she's like just being abandoned here, right? And she's getting divorced. And he's like, get out. You're no longer my wife. I renounce you. If she's over here just wandering and she meets another dude and he's like, where's your husband, right? Dude, you're the dude, man. You're the lucky man, eh? And so he meet, she meets another man and he goes, where's your family? Oh, uh, yeah, they kicked me out. How does he know that? I said, this is weird, I. How does he know that the girl didn't abandon her family? How does he know that the girl didn't just up and leave her husband? How does he know that the woman is not being unfaithful? But now she has papers and she go, listen, man, I was the victim. Look, he divorced me. And now she can move on with her life. So number one, does that make sense? And if you start seeing things that you're like, dude, I'm super confused, just text the questions, all right? Text it. So number one, a certificate would protect the woman, right? It would protect a woman, especially in this society where women wasn't very strong and didn't have a lot of rights and it was like, she needed protection. So it protects her. But then the second thing, it makes men think twice. Because remember what it said? It said, if you give her those papers and she goes and finds another man, there ain't no going back. So this would keep men from just waking up one morning and going, ah, Helga, I no longer like you. Bye-bye, right? <laughs> And then like the next week, he's like, Helga, I changed mind. Come back. There's none of that, right? So that like, because once you gave her those papers, it was permanent. So do you see how the certificate was kind of like, a, a, like it helped keep a potentially disastrous situation from going bad? I need a lot of nods tonight because this is thick, right? This is like high school stuff. So if you're here, just do it, all right? So here we go. He gives a certificate of divorce, but why would a man give a certificate of divorce to his wife? But follow this. Why would a husband divorce his wife according to that text? It said, if he found some indecency in her. Are you ready for the debate? What does some indecency mean? And so now here comes this hundred year old debate and Jesus is here in the first century. And even in Jesus day, they are arguing what this means. And so friends, welcome to the debate. Here we go. This first school of thought, they said, I, I believe Moses. He said some indecency in your wife, Hey. Well, what does that mean? Rabbi Shammai, please tell me, what does Moses mean? I believe that Moses meant that if your wife was sexually indecent, meaning she was unfaithful to you, right? And everybody's like, oh, that's what indecency means. Make sense? Indecency, that kind of sounds that way. So maybe that's what it meant. If she was unfaithful to you, if she cheated on you. But there was another school of thought. And this school of thought, friends, which seems crazy, this is Hillel, which his homies call him Hillel, right? Because his homies are Hebrew. And so this is, what, this is what homie or Rabbi Hillel said. He said, ah, when Moses says indecent, only you can really know what indecent is. I don't know what this accent is. I'm sorry. Is this, is this kind of Middle Eastern? Not even a little bit? We'll keep going. Okay. So Hillel, he says, you know what indecent is? Indecent is whatever you think indecent is. And so there was this whole group of people, friends, and listen, I'm gonna go crazy tonight because these things are crazy and they're super relevant. There was a whole side of the debate that was saying, whatever you find indecent, pff, that's reason for divorce. So there were people in writing, I can show you the quotations in the text, and it says, divorce your wife if she spoils a dish. So there would be dudes that would get angry because his wife just burned the meal. And he goes, you're done. Get out of here. Moses said, I can do it. I found this meal indecent. Yeah, Helga, you're out. There were people, it's like, dude, and this is like crazy here because it's not only the cooking, but like there were people written trying to interpret Deuteronomy. And they said, if you find another woman more fair, then go for it. Write the first wife, a certificate of divorce, and then go for the more beautiful wife. I would like to think that if we were to do the debate, right? If we were living in Jerusalem today and we try to do this debate, 
like, I'd like to think that more people were on this side, but friends, that was the predominant view. The predominant view, the overwhelming majority of Israel, they were under the rabbi Chelel. And they were like, dude, it's easier. And so they would totally abandon their families and their wives. And then they would try to act holy and they'd go, ah, but Moses, our father, he said, this is good. Some indecency. Man, if we had this debate today, where do you think most Americans would fall? What do you think? Point. Okay. As a matter of fact, they do, right? As a matter of fact, this is literally the view of today. The king, this is the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And friends, in the kingdom of the world, this is what people believe. I do, like I'm a minister, so I do weddings, right? Like that's part of my functions. Let me show you what traditional weddings look like, all right? I, Sam, take the Jordan to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold. From this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge myself to you. And everybody said, oh, right? That's marriage. That's what it's supposed to be, till death do us part. But how many of you know the movement of modern vows? Had anybody been to a wedding recently? Perhaps you've been to a Christian wedding, so you may not have picked this up, but this is the move today, right? And this is modern vows and it's all over the internet and you can read about it and I do because I do weddings and I have to ask people, what kind of vows do you want? This is what is being replaced in modern vows. They no longer say till death do us part. They say things like, for as long as we continue to love each other, for as long as our love shall last until our time together is over. And it sounds drastic to you, but when you're saying it in the midst of all those things, it sounds beautiful. I, Sam, take you, Jordan, to be my, lo my lawfully wedded wife for as long as we're together and this and that, and nobody thinks twice of it, but it's subtle. They're literally re redefining the expectations for marriage. And so people, this is what Americans are doing. They're like, till death, do us. Let's just be real, dude. Let's be real, because we know this is probably gonna happen anyway. As long as we're together, we'll love each other. Sound good? Deal, shake on it. <laughs> That's what people are going into in marriage these days. That's the expectation. So why set ourselves up for failure by putting this till death to us part when we all know that in reality, like, dude, I had, oh, I shouldn't go here, but I'm going to. I had somebody tell me, I was 20, 22 years old when I got married. And this is like literally the logic that somebody told me. They go, Sam, like, I know that you have good passion and you wanna be married for the rest of your life. But listen, your 30-year-old version of yourself is gonna be way different than your 20-year-old version. And so you may be compatible with her now because you're both in your 20s, but when you become 30, you're gonna be a completely different person. And she's gonna be a completely different person. And so your 30-year-old versions may not be compatible with each other. And so just, I know, I know you wanna do the good Christian thing, but just be realistic here. Like, it's okay, it happens. I read an article talking about the ideal number of spouses in your life is three. Yeah, because you need, like, you need somebody to explore the world with in your 20s and 30s, right? Until you're 35, somebody to grow with and explore the world and encourage one another, right? Think La La Land, right? Help them find their dreams. And then once you're establishing your career from like 35 to 50, then you should probably have a second spouse because that'll really help you. Like now you're both clicking. You both already figured out your lives. You both already know your passions and now you can go alongside of each other. And then from 50 to the end of your days, you should probably have a third spouse because now there's no expectations, there's no pressure and you're free to just enjoy life as retired people. Welcome to the debate, friends. Welcome to the debate. So now here's what happens. We have this over here, right? We have the unfaithful camp, Shammai, Shammai. We have over here the any cause camp. You can get divorced for any cause, Hillel, and now this is what they do. Jesus shows up on the scene, right? And like, imagine you're in a homeroom and you're like, no, dude, I believe in nurture. And you're like, no way, I believe in nature. And none of you know what those things mean, so it works, right? And you're having this debate and then your biology teacher walks in and you're like, let's settle this right now. Mr. Dingledorf, can you please weigh in on the conversation? <laughs> you guys don't have a Mr. Dingledorf? All right, whatever. My biology teacher was weird, fine, right? And you're like, Mr. Dingledorf, can you please weigh in on the conversation? Can you weigh in on the debate? And that's what they do to Jesus. They're having this debate and they go, Jesus, why don't you weigh in? The Pharisees came up to him 
and they tested him and they asked him, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any cause? Sound familiar? Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? They're not asking him, is divorce okay or not? They already assume divorce because this was the culture. They're not asking if divorce is okay. They're saying, what's the legitimate outs for divorce? Jesus, those guys think that the only legitimate out is if she's unfaithful or if he's unfaithful. We think that it's for any cause. What do you think? Jesus, tell us, what are the legitimate excuses for divorce? When can I permissibly divorce my spouse? And if you know anything about Jesus, if you know anything about the person Jesus, you are not going to be surprised to find that he doesn't engage in their debate. Instead, he focuses on the design, okay? He's not going to indulge the debate. He's going to draw their attention higher to the design. And look what he says. He answered, have you not read? And I love that because like, I just pictured Jesus having that meme face of just like, Everybody show me your meme face of just like something that you put a caption under that you're like, yeah, I love, ooh, that's scary. You're too good at that. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Jesus is saying, don't you read your Bibles? What, what passage is he referring to here? What part of the Bible can you find what he's referring to? Say it louder. Genesis, that's where you can read about who, who created them from the beginning, and male and female, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so we see that God, he's not going into the debate, he's going into the design. He's going and focusing on the design. And so they want Jesus to weigh in and he literally comes over here and he knocks it down and he goes, are you joking me? Don't you read your Bible? I'm not gonna answer that question because you're asking the wrong question. Why are you looking to find what are the legitimate outs? Instead, you should be focusing on the beautiful design of the creator. And so he exposes their hearts. Students, how many of you know, can I get my mic up a little bit? I feel like I'm, I'm straining my voice. How many of you know that they're not asking the question because they're hungry to do things right? They're not asking the debate question because like, I just wanna make sure that I'm being righteous. And so Jesus, you tell me. They're asking this question. They're pondering this debate because they have unfaithfulness in their hearts. And so rather than striving for God's ideal of permanence, they're playing the, can I do this? Can I not do this? Teacher, what, what's the lowest possible grade I can get on this test and still pass? Dude, how many of you, when it's final exam time and you're nervous, just to make you feel a little bit better, you calculate, all right, I can get a 55 on this final and still pass. I'm not studying, right? Right? What's the lowest possible thing that I can do and still be okay? And Jesus says, you're arguing about this one text in Deuteronomy, but you forgot the heartbeat of the author himself. You're trying to figure out what Deuteronomy means, but you have completely forgotten what the author of Deuteronomy designed. And who's the author of Deuteronomy? God, the author of the scriptures. And so Jesus reminds us of the design. Let's look at it, students. Let's look at the design of marriage. Number one, we see that this is from the beginning. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning... He goes before Moses. He goes from day one in creation, from the very beginning, this was meant to be. And what was the result? What was the desire from the beginning? What was the desire from the beginning? The two shall become one flesh. And so from the beginning, God designed two people to come together in such a complete union to be weaved and cleaved together so thoroughly that you can no longer see two different people. It's almost as radical as like thinking of it this way. In heaven, God doesn't see two people anymore. He sees one item. That's the result of marriage, of two people coming together in sexual union to be one. 
two shall become one flesh. And then he intensifies the design. He, breaks the, he, he makes this even heavier by reminding us, oh, by the way, God is the one who put that together. I'll just leave that right there. God is the one who tied the knot. This is not JJ's idea and he's gonna get married. And he's like, I think I'll like leave and cleave to my wife. No, no, God is taking JJ's soul and the other person's one and they're making them one, right? Many, many years from now, right? Many, many years from now. Yes, hopefully. We'll get there. We'll work on it, right? And so God has put this thing together. And so the point of this knot, the point of this divine knot is that we should not take apart what God has put together. That's the design. This is meant to be permanent. This is what Jesus is getting to. He says, why are you focusing on, how, on when it's okay to break it? You should be focusing on the beauty of the knot itself. That's the first movement. Sound, does that help? I almost wanna stop for questions now, but I'm gonna stop for 10 seconds and let you text in your question. He shows us the permanency of the design. And his point is do not try and reverse. Do not try and reverse the tremendous action that God has performed. If God has tied this permanently, why would you consider taking it apart? Let alone because she burned your meal. God, I know you did this not, but I mean, I just found another looker, right? What? This is permanent. And so Jesus is exposing their hearts while at the same time revealing the heart of God for marriage. And so he talked about the design of marriage, but now he's gonna start in the second verse here talking about the destruction of marriage. We have the design, and now we're gonna look at the destruction. Check it out. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Verse nine of chapter 19. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. I see your faces. <laughs> I see him. This is hard. What does this mean? We realize here that Jesus is equating divorce with adultery. Let me go very carefully here, all right? Because every single one of us in this room, I, and maybe I'm wrong, you should tell me if I'm wrong, every single one of us has family members or friends that are divorced. How many of you? I'm, let me risk it. For the, yeah. I have people in my family that are divorced. I have friends that are divorced. I have friends that have parents that are divorced. So this affects everyone. So we wanna make sure we understand this and get this and be careful here. Jesus is equating divorce with adultery. In divorce, and here's what it is. We need the metaphor here because this is gonna help us. In divorce, the two parties, right? Because they're both married, they're one. But now what is divorce doing? It's pulling these two people apart. So in that act of divorce, there are now two parties involved in this breaking apart what God has put together. I'm not saying it's two parties' fault. I'm just saying it's science, it's math. There are now two people involved in this act of tearing apart what God has put together. So this breaking apart, this coming apart of the covenant, God equates that with adultery. Just like last week, he equated lust with adultery, right? Is lust literally adultery? No, lust is not exactly the same thing as sleeping with another person's spouse. No, but, but Jesus is saying, it's equal. The effects are equal. And so in the same way, adultery is equal or divorce is equal, meaning anything, whether it's lust. So look, here's, here's the two people and this person lusts after another person and he starts to pull away. So whether it's lust or whether it's divorce, anything that works to undo and separate this divine knot is equated to adultery. All right, let me say that again. What do you mean? Wait, so if I'm divorced, I'm living in per perpetual adultery? No, no, listen to me. When two people are engaging in the act of divorce, 
they are now participants. They are, whether it's not by one person's fault or both person's fault, they are now both participants in the act of breaking apart this knot. And anything that contributes to the breaking apart of this knot is equated to adultery. Adultery has the same effect as adultery. It is undermining the union that God put together. And so by equating these two things, by telling us, hey, lust is like adultery. Divorce is adultery. By equating those two things, Jesus is making the radical point. Do not take apart what God has put together. He's saying, follow the design. God put it together, so don't break it. Don't do anything that would undermine it. And so now here's where it gets tricky. Look at the different participants, okay? So we have, which one is this? You wanna call this the man? There's the man, there's the woman, right? There's the husband. And then we'll do, we have another string here. We'll call that the third party, okay? Yeah, no, it's different. My son stole it pre-gathering. Here we go. Verse nine, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife commits adultery. So here we go. This man, if he divorces, if he separates from his wife, he is contributing to the demise of this knot. And so Jesus is saying, you're committing adultery. It's the same effects of adultery. You're breaking the knot. And and ladies, you got to understand this especially, but everybody, like, do you know how radical this is what Jesus is saying? Because you had an entire community of dudes that were divorcing their wives for whatever reason they wanted and they felt like they were walking away like scot-free, clean, just, I'm working, I'm, I'm guiltless. Because Moses said, and Jesus is like hogwash. If you divorce your wife, you are committing adultery. If you are contributing to the demise of the knot, you're not gonna hide behind some scriptures that you're quoting. You're not gonna hide your hard heart by going, oh no, orthodoxy, and oh no, legally, I'm okay. He goes, hogwash, you're not hiding. You're guilty, you need to repent. And so the man, if he divorces his wife and sends her away, and it's insightful, think about this. I'm guessing that most people weren't divorcing their wives because they burned the dinner. Some people said that, but what do you think the number one cause for divorcing their wives and husbands were? Last week, what did we talk about? It makes sense that he's giving this passage right after the lust passage because most men were probably leaving their, the any cause, leaving their wives because they found another fairer. And so we see that's how the man is involved as a participant. Here's where it gets a little bit harder. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife makes her commit adultery. There's a lot of thoughts about this of, well, if my husband divorces me, now I can never get remarried because I'm perpetually living in, in adultery. I don't believe that. I don't think this. This is what I think this means. Is she literally sleeping with another person by being divorced? No, of course not. But the effect, here's what it is. By divorcing his wife, he's now making her a participant of the act of breaking the knot. Whether or not she's involved, and and in this text, it says it's not, because it says makes her. This is actually a passive verb. You know English, any grammar? What does passive mean? It means you're not actively doing it. It means it's being done to you. So when a man divorces his wife, or when a person divorces her spouse, he's dragging her into the mess. He's now making her a participant of the mess that is called breaking the knot. The NIV actually says it this way. It says you cause her to be a victim. I think that's an okay translation as well. But the the, the point is, even the victim of divorce is involved even they are participating in adultery, right? And they, what do you mean by adultery? She slept with somebody else? No, adultery meaning anything that breaks the knot, the act of breaking the knot. So in divorce, when you're pulling this apart and it's getting all crazy and she's like, dude, he broke the rope for me. But that's the mess. That makes it even more sad that, she, that he dragged you into the act of breaking the knot. And then the third part here, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The idea that now, if you, like, dude, you have this knot broken up and it's never gonna be perfect and now it's kind of a mess and then a third strand gets introduced here and he's like, I'll marry you, right? And what he's saying here is the reality is now even he is a participant, even he is involved in the mess. And all of you who are from blended families, you know that when a third party marries a divorced person, they're now right in the middle of the mess, are they not? There's no clean breaks. 
and now there's, there's step-siblings and step-parents and all, and there's the mess and just anybody who is in a blended family, you know the mess that I'm talking about, don't you? You know the mess. And so Jesus is saying, guys, when you try to undo something that Jesus, that God designed to be so permanent, it is such a mess. And the man is involved in participating in that act of breaking up. The woman is now involved, whether she's a victim or not. The third party who comes in and tries to marry her and even rescue her, it's like he's involved in the mess. And everybody needs to understand the importance. Do not take apart what God has put together. When I went to college, um, freshman seminar, or no, orientation, they were very clear on dorm rules. And they said, all right, boys and girls, you're gonna go and hang up your posters and your baseball cards and all of your things on the wall. Do not use anything but removable command strips, right? And we're all just like super attentive, right? And we're like, whatever, right? I know how to do the hang up stuff, right? And we go and get a bunch of different things and tape and like, I'm not going out and getting command strips. I'm a broke college student. I'll just use double-sided tape, right? Or I'll go and get the sticky stuff, right? And I didn't read it that it's meant for permanent wall fixtures. Several months later, you're moving out of your dorm and they go, all right, boys and girls, it's time to complete your entire cleaning and anything that is not left the way you found it, you'll be fine. And we're like, ha, 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 ha. So we go start taking the posters off the wall, which we would have listened because what happens when you try to take a permanent fixture off the wall? <laughs> right, and there's sheetrock coming up and now there's holes in the wall. And I'm like, what can I cover this with? You know, I'm trying, like, trying to put a plant and it's like, I lost my pot. I, you would lose your deposit, right? Imagine that kind of fixture, tearing something off the wall that was meant to be permanent and you can't hide it. Everybody knows, dude, there was something there. That's what it's like when you tear apart the permanence of marriage. And now let's end here because here's the big debate in our own modern times, right? The exception. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. Now, I have to be honest with you here, okay? I'm gonna tell you how most people interpret this passage and then I'm gonna tell you how I interpret this passage. Most people, the common majority of you will tell you, divorce is not acceptable, except if your wife or if your husband was unfaithful and then it's okay. That's the majority of you, right? Most people would add a second reason. They go, except if they're abusive and then in that case, do that as well. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Here's what I think Jesus is saying, right? And, and, and here's why I don't think that. Would Jesus really come and knock over the debate and he go, wrong question. I'm not gonna tell you what the legitimate outs are. You have to focus on the design. And then, oh, by the way, I agree with that guy. Would Jesus really, after debunking the debate, then go and weigh in and go, and yeah, I, I, I think there is an out. After telling us stop focusing on the outs, Right? Sam, what color's the sky? That's not what's important, students. What's really important is that you're looking in your souls. By the way, it's blue. What? You just told me not to focus on that. So I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. Let me show you the way that I read this, okay? I'm gonna give you my paraphrase. Everyone who divorces is his wife. Let's get the knot here. Everyone who divorces his wife is bringing her into this act of adultery, meaning he's bringing her into this act of breaking the knot. He's dragging her into the mess, except in the case of sexual immorality. Then in that case, he's not dragging her. She herself got into the mess. Does that make sense? Now again, we'll do this in Q&A. Jesus is not saying, if you divorce your wife, it's a, you're, you're causing her to commit adultery, except if she was adulterous, then you're okay, go divorce her. No, no, he's saying, when you divorce your wife, you're dragging her into the mess of breaking the knot, except in the case that she was sexually unfaithful, she's dragging herself into this. And so in that case, she's not the victim. So the exception clause is more about where the blame lies and who's, and who's the, the guilty party, not about the legitimate outs for marriage. And again, that's confusing. I have a whole 17 page research paper on that that I can give you if you'd like, email me and I'll get it to you. I thought about printing it out and Courtney's like, <laughs> like, all right, cool. So here's the point. I wanna get into Q&A. Courtney, you can grab the computer. You guys can start get, getting your, your questions ready. But here's the point. When you try to undo this thing, it's a mess. Everybody say mess. When you try to do this thing, it is a mess and it is complicated and it is hard. But students, I want you to hear Jesus' heart here, okay? 
I want you to hear Jesus' heart. Jesus is not coming with his referee outfit going, that was a horrible, right? He's not blowing the whistle going, that's okay. Divorce penalty, 10 yards. You, you're okay, go on it. He's going, guys, stop playing the can't I, can I game and focus on this, focus on the design. Focus on the beauty of marriage. And students, for you guys, this is the perfect message to hear. I'd rather preach this to you than on Sunday morning because there's probably not a lot of you students that are divorced and remarried, right? And so this message would be a different application to people on a Sunday because we're dealing with the realities of messes and going, yeah, it's, it's a mess. But, and you know what I would tell them? You know what I would tell your parents if I was preaching to them on Sunday? I would say, if this is where you are, start now. Like commit in your current marriage to being faithful and to keeping this permanent, right? And then I'd also have to deal with the messiness and I'm sure we'll get into it. If, but what if I'm in an abusive situation? What if I'm being abandoned? I would never recommend somebody stay in an abusive situation. I, and I wouldn't do that. And I think people are foolish to do that. My point is to you guys, you have the opportunity to avoid all that. You have the opportunity before you even get into marriage and that stage of life, excuse me. That was a spicy meatball. Um, <laughs> It literally was a meatball for dinner. But you have the opportunity before marriage to decide I'm going to find somebody who is as committed to making this work and as dependent on Jesus Christ as I am so that divorce doesn't have to be an option so that we too can live lives that show the world how God's relationship is with us. And it's never ending, always faithful. Do not take apart what God has put together. All right. Sound good? All right, now go home. Go, go, go. No, I won't do that. The difference between like brainwashing and um, what we do is that we allow you to ask questions. So like maybe you've been a part of a religion or a cult or a <laughs> class <laughs> where they're like, don't ask any questions, just believe. You know, we're like, that's not us because then you won't own your faith. And so let's, uh, let's take some questions. Do you have a microphone? Nice. Do we have any questions yet? Yeah. Raise your hand if you sent in a question. <laughs> oh, you wrote most of the questions? No. Oh, okay. All right, good. Um, and you know what? If you have a question and you're comfortable I, and you don't want to text it in for whatever reason, I, we could even go live here. I'm willing to go unfiltered. We don't need to filter your questions. But let's just clarify. The questions are about divorce and remarriage and this text. Sound good? If there's any right. questions on paper. Does anybody have handwritten questions that you want to hand in? All right, that's cool. Whatever. All right, let's go. So um, I think as to be expected, it obviously brought up a lot of questions, but they all kind of fit into three major categories um, that, that, yeah, are unclear from the text. And the number one category by far is on the question of abuse. Mm. Um, so things like... Um, what happens if your long-term spouse gets violent? Is that not a grounds for divorce? If your husband or wife is being abusive, can they divorce for that reason? Mm -hmm. um, how would you go about a situation where a marriage is abusive? Why doesn't Jesus bring up abuse in this text? So kind of a lot of general questions. What was that last one? Why doesn't, um, why Jesus? doesn't Jesus bring up abuse right. in the text well, specifically? Because he's not bringing up outs. Like, he's, like we're asking the question, well, when can I get divorced? It's kind of hard to answer because Jesus didn't answer it. Jesus didn't tell us, well, here are the legitimate outs. He was like, wrong question because of where the Pharisees were. So, um, you want me to go for it? Yeah, so, yeah. So, I think both in of like, uh, how would you go about a situation if a marriage is abusive and is abuse grounds for divorce? Mm -hmm. um, the grounds for divorce part is hard because again, Jesus is not giving us the grounds for abuse or, or for divorce. Um, if as a pastor, if somebody came to me, one of you, 10 years from now, and you're like, Sam, I was in your sermon 10 years ago and I don't want a divorce, but my husband is abusive, what do I do? I would never say, well, if you love God, you better stay in that home and love, never, never. Get out, get help, call the popo, call your pastor, call cat. Like, when I, like honestly, get out. That is just silly. And, and there was an age um, and I think the Catholic Church became famous for this because their interpretation, the majority view of this was very abusive to go, no, sister, if you love the Lord, you will stay in your marriage. And it's like, no, I don't believe that. Get out. Um, is it grounds for divorce? Um, I, I, I do think there are times in this messy world, in the kingdom of this world, where God's idea, 
zeal is not upheld. I think there are times where this knot is torn apart, right? And I think the point is though, if it comes to that, it's a mess. It's a mess. And so, but what if I'm the victim? What if he abused me? Is that not fair? Shouldn't I have another chance? Yeah, I I think so. I, I think I would remarry someone if there was no chance at putting the knot back together Right? If, some, if two people came to me and they said, hey, we're both divorced, we found other people, would you marry us? The person who, who was the divorcer and the abuser, if they went away to find somebody else, I would not marry them because they are not doing everything in their power to make the God, God's permanent knot stay permanent. And so if they are actively doing something to undo that knot, you need to repent, dude. I'm not marrying you, you need to repent. If somebody is the victim of divorce, and their spouse has already left them and married another, and now there's no chance of reunion there, I would remarry. But I would also be very clear that um, that abused person, and I wanna be sensitive, because I don't want it to be like, you're an adulterer. I, I don't think Jesus is saying that. He's just saying, you have to understand, your spouse, when he sinned against you, he brought you into the sinful act of undoing the knot. And so now you need to repent. Not repent of a sin of commission, right? Not like the Bible uses different versions of sin. There's sin of commission, things that you did, sin of omission, things that you should have done that you didn't. There's also the sin of proximity. Just by being in the presence of that sinful act, you need to come clean of that and you need to move on from that and have healing. So I think this is the biggest argument that I've had from my non-Christian friends about marriage um, of this idea of what happens if at first it seems awesome, right? You marry this person that seems like they agree about what marriage is, that they know it's a lifelong commitment, that they care for you. And then like all of a sudden, 20 years down the road, they suddenly go mental and become abusive or Mm -hmm. become uncaring or unfeeling. Um, And I think, um, though I understand that perhaps that can happen in certain cases, and I know people have, there's stories for days, you know, of, of marriages that have gone astray or, you know, gone crazy. Um, But I think that's a really important reason why the church exists, you know? It's very important for you as a female when you're married, even before you're married, but to be connected with other women, to teach you, to help you uh, when your heart begins to go cold towards your spouse, when you um, start becoming, you know, self-serving rather than selfless. And same for the men, like you need godly men who've been in the marriage longer, who have been in their marriages longer to teach you like, no, you're here to like self-sacrifice and lead your wife. You're here to care for her. You're here to care for her like you care for your own body. And being in that community together of those men keeping each other accountable, those women keeping each other accountable saves marriages, I think. And I've seen... um, man, I've seen marriages that you're like, wow, this is definitely going to end in divorce. Like, this Mm. is crazy. And God redeems it. And it's Mm. a miracle. And it's at the end of it, we're just like, man, God is the only one that gets the glory for this because Mm -hmm. mankind could not have put this back together. And that's where, like, going back to the advice I got before I was getting married, of like, you don't know what that person's going to be like when they're 40. How do you know they won't go crazy? First, you don't. Don't marry a crazy person. Don't marry crazy. Like, you don't know what they'll be like when they're 40, but here's what you do know. I don't know what my wife is going to be like 10 years from now. I don't know exactly, but I do know what trajectories she's on because I see the way that she's setting herself up for success. I see the way she pursues older women. I see the way that she pursues her peers. I see the way that she relies on the Lord, the way that she's growing in her relationship with God. And so, yes, I don't know exactly what she'll be like when she's 40, but if I follow that trajectory, I have a pretty good idea. And so young ladies and young men, when you get to that stage of life, you know, five, six, seven years from now, when you're looking into, for a spouse, you're not just looking at who that person is, you're looking at how they set themselves up for a trajectory, right? And so, man, he's a really good guy now, but if he's a lazy person and doesn't have anybody speaking to his life, it looks like he's flatlined. And so he may be a really good 22-year-old, but you don't want to be married to a 40-year-old who still acts like a 22-year-old. So if he doesn't have a trajectory for growth, that's something to look into. So, uh, does anybody have a question that you just want the mic passed to you? Because we can continue this dialogue and discussion, but anybody have a question that you go, can I ask it out loud? Okay. If you do, just raise your hand. We won't bite. I just, yeah. Should we mic her or? I tried to send one in, but it got sent back to me that. Denied. Go for it. 
Um, so at the beginning of the passage, the man said, uh, or God, Jesus told him, like, if you leave your wife and she gets remarried, you, you can't get back, you can't get married to her if, if her husband dies or she gets divorced again. Um, why would, why doesn't he want them to become, like, reconciled and, like, <clears throat> excuse me, for her to forgive him? Um, or him to forgive her for that marriage to be reconciled. Yeah, so if you actually go on in that chapter, it gets like super crazy. But the idea is you guys were one. It tore apart. He doesn't say not to get back together unless it's gone so far to the point that she's now been married to another person. So now she's already involved in another knot. And so to get back with that original knot would mean tearing apart another knot. And so that's, where, and that's why that was such a, a safety guard because it was like, men, think twice. If you tear this knot and make a mess and she goes and joins herself to another knot, you're now contributing, like you to get back with her would be contributing. It, she's already been marked, the text says. She, she's already belonged to another. And so now to go back, it would be to go to somebody, not her husband. Yeah. Others, questions? Yeah. Oh, microphone. Max, you want to be my mic runner if somebody has a question? If you have a question, just wave and we'll get it to you. We have several, several more in the hopper here. Ooh, hopper. Um, so... Yeah, so I was talking about the, kind of the categories questions came in. Big one on abuse. Um, the second one is about the unfaithful spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, so question, if your spouse is being unfaithful repeatedly, do you forgive? Um, and then in relation to that, like what are the grounds of sexual immorality? I think in the passage it mentioned that supposed exception clause of like if they're being unfaithful. But um, so what is that? Is that... So let me make sure I understand the question. What do you do if your spouse cheated on you? That's it. What do you do if your spouse cheats on you? Yeah, this one's repeatedly. If your spouse cheats on you and you find out they had an affair for the last year secretly, what do you do? Whoa, that's a hard one. Okay. Um, What do you do? I think number one, it depends on the repentance of that second person. If they are cheating consistently and persistently and they are determined and you find out and they don't even care that you found out because they're determined to just be unfaithful to this knot and to do things that tear it apart because at that point it's more than lust i mean it's literal adultery so if they're continuing and persistent and you are trying to reconcile which i know it's even hard to even come to the point and to go man you've cheated on me but i'm willing to make it work would you be willing man that is an act of grace right That takes a woman or a man who is so affected by the grace of God that they would even be willing to consider extending that grace to their unfaithful spouse, right? So that's that's hard in itself. But let's say, let's say a man is willing to go, hey, honey, I'm willing to make this work. Are you? And she's like, no, and she persists. If if it's one-sided, if he doesn't, and she wants it, there comes a point where it's not reconcilable because there's not two parties working together to maintain it. So no matter how much she wants to stay a part of the rope, if he commits adultery and is unfaithful, he's causing the whole thing to be adulterated. He's causing the knot to break apart. Um, but I think that to highlight there what I just said, he was unfaithful, but now he wants, to, he wants to come back and repent. And I'm sorry, let's make this work. Well, I have to divorce you. The Bible says it's sexual morality. No, I don't think so. I don't think you have to. Is it hard? Oh my gosh, do I say that flippantly and easily? No way. But like Courtney said, I do think it's possible to redeem a knot and to remake it back into a beautiful testament of God's glory and grace if parties are willing to work at it. Sometimes it's not possible because one party is not interested and they're unrepentant. But my advice, anybody who finds himself in the messy situation of of undermining the knot, my, my pastoral advice that I say with a heavy heart is fight. Do whatever it takes to keep it together. And unless... It is like beyond, unless you've gone to the end of the earth and back trying to make that work, fight. And that's where like that camp, the the school of Hillel, these were not people that were going to the ends of the earth trying to fight for their marriage. These are people that at the drop of a hat were going, oh, I'm out. Yes, I'm free. Ha ha. I can go find a new spouse. And God says, there's no room for that attitude among God's people. You're not actively looking for ways out. You're not looking for, yes, I can divorce her legitimately because it's time for something new and fresh. Fight for the design. Another uh, category of questions was on the topic of remarriage. So if someone gets divorced, is it still wrong for them to remarry? Um, And would it be considered a sin to marry someone who was previously divorced? Mm -hmm. 
So that gets to that last part of the verse, right? To the, this is a mess. All the participants that are contributing to the undermining of this divine knot, they're involved. They're participants. Um, and so I went one by one. The man's participation, the woman's participation, and that, uh, I shouldn't say that. The, um, the divorcer, the divorcee, because it could be man or woman, and then the third participant who comes in and remarries one of them. Um, so... Say, say the two questions again. You asked two parts there. Would it be um, considered a sin to marry someone who was divorced uh, or to remarry? After I won't use divorced. the word sin because Jesus doesn't use the word sin. He just says they're participating in the act of undermining the knot. So this dude leaves his wife. He sins against her. He's causing her to be involved in the adultery of the knot. New guy comes in and says, I love you. I, I want you to be secure. I want you to have a new future. He marries her. I don't think that's sin. I, I, in certain cases, I would even remarry them. I just think that they both have to understand this is less than ideal. The fact that I'm marrying you and you were already married and maybe even I was already married, this is less than ideal. Us getting married is acknowledging that something that God had put together is broken and will never be put back together again. And so is it sin? I wouldn't use that word. Would I remarry someone? In certain cases, yes. In other cases, no. Follow-up questions to that? Vanessa? Raise it high so he can give you the microphone. New question. It's not really a follow-up question, but if someone was to be married and be part of that whole thing, and then their husband or wife was to die, mm-hmm. would it be sinful for them to get remarried because the vow said, till death do mm-hmm. you part? Right, right. And again, just to clarify, I didn't say that like, if your spouse is still alive out there, you can't get remarried. No, but at that point, you're right, yeah. Like if their spouse died, it's like an episode of, I'll just kill them then, right? No. <laughs> like till death do us part, I can arrange that, right? That is sin. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, sin. again, um, yeah, obviously something else cut that knot apart, right? But that knot was probably destroyed long before his death anyway. So it was still a mess as long as he was alive. Yeah. Don't kill your spouse. It's not the way out. I mean, it technically is the only way out, but not by killing them because then you can't get married to anybody because you're in prison. Bummer. Unless you marry a prison. Can you marry a prison mate? Is that legal? Can you get put in the same cell? Sorry, sorry. Question for another day. Find me after. I'm really curious. All right. This is why Sam's not writing the questions. How come I'm not allowed to ask questions? Man. All right. Oh, the rope. There it is. There's the third participant. He's a bad man. All right. Uh, Interesting question came through. Can the same thing that we've been talking about be said for dating? No. Next question. Done. This is not dating. Oh, my gosh. When you're dating, you are not joined soul to soul. For a lifelong covenant. One permanent lifelong covenant, you know? (laughs) I thought that was it. I'll be honest, dude. And those of you who know my dating story, um, I thought that's what that was. I I gave her a promise ring. We're joined forever. I remember like, no, I've shared this in our dating one-on-one talks, but like, I remember the first time my mentor slash pastor slash your pastor asked me about a relationship. Your pastor and mine. And he goes, and he's like, dude, so how's that relationship going? I go, dude, I'm just, I'm checked out, man. I, I really just, I don't enjoy it anymore. And I don't feel like this is right. Why are you still in the relationship? How long have you been feeling like this? Like eight months. Why are you still in the relationship? I gave her a promise ring. And he goes, uh, I mean, sorry, uh, what? But I thought, I was like, dude, I'm, I'm joined, right? And it's like, no, the point of dating is not to join your soul together. The point of dating is to find a spouse and to determine if this is a good solution. And so, yeah, easy answer. Where's the easy button, Aria? That was easy. <laughs> Questions? Um, can I ask you guys some questions while she gets her thoughts organized? What part of this did you find um, most affirming and, and most easy to go, yeah, I love that? Raise, raise your hand if you have a thought or just call it out. Parts of the message that you, or parts of Jesus' teaching that you go, man, yeah, I, I, yeah, I totally agree with that. That's good. Go ahead, screw it up. Yeah, and, it's, and it sounds like to our American ears, that verse that Jesus says, that goes, that's not fair. 
They didn't do anything wrong. I know, but like, and that's why it's such a mess. Because he, you're the victim. He caused you. He made you to be a part of that adulterating of the knot. And so, yeah, that sounds foreign maybe to our American ears, but anybody from different countries, like that, the sin of proximity is a normal thing. That's why people, like when they're raped, um, when they're going through Christian counseling, like the counselor will direct them. And I learned this in school. Like he'll direct them through a time of, of um, confession. But why, why am I confessing? I didn't sin. Confessing doesn't just mean confessing your sin. It just means talking. So you were in the presence of sin. You were the victim of sin. Confess, talk about that, get that, clear, clear that. Because you were in the presence of contamination there, you know? And so um, that idea of contamination is a funny word, but, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, that's good. Others, things that stuck out to you from the message. Go ahead. Yeah, she said she loved how Jesus didn't get involved in the debate. He just pointed back to the design. And that's the thing. A lot of times you have friends in school, they want to get into a debate. Jesus always questioned the questioner. He always said, I see, your, I see that question, but I want to know what's behind the question. So the Pharisees are saying, where do you side? And he goes, what's at the heart of that question? Do you really want to know the truth or are you trying to justify your own unfaithfulness? Oh, uh, no, uh, Moses, shut up. Yes, you are. Look at the design. So Jesus is saying. Others, things that stuck out to you, things that surprised you, things that were hard to swallow, any, any bullet points from the message? Something, you, something a takeaway. Where are my high schoolers at? Come on. I saw your faces. I saw the wheels burning while I was talking. Christian Bale. Mm. Yeah, he said, seeing how permanent this is, it makes him really want to find somebody else who understands that the same way that he does, right? Did I put words in your mouth or did I understand you? Okay, yeah, good. Others, quick, 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 let's go. Question. All the same thing, Okay. All right, if we're done, we're done. Last chance, questions or, or things that stuck out to you or things you found hard to swallow. What was the most confusing thing I said? Ooh, let's do that one. Help me understand for the next time. Most confusing part of the message, go. Say it again, please. Um, you said the most confusing part. What about it? It's confusing because like, God made that new and I Right, right. So I divorced, but now I'm made new again and now I can move on. Yeah, I think God does make you new, but if there are two people that are living now apart from each other and they're both still available and they're both just not willing to go back, that shows that maybe they're not very new yet because there's still that hardness of heart that goes, I'm not going back. And again, it's more complicated than that, I know, but... Yeah, others. Most confusing part. Go ahead, Mikey. So if they got married and divorced, does that mean they weren't ready for marriage? Or they didn't... Not necessarily. I think people sin. Like James, what is it? James 2 um, or James 4. Uh, 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 for we all sin in different ways, including your spouse. You know, your spouse sins. And so I think, yeah. Well, I think the person you'll sin against the most are the people that are closest to you. <laughs> so particularly in that relationship, you sin against each other quite often and you have to continue to have that constant forgiveness, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, we, if you just look at the, the narrative of the Bible, like, read your whole Bible from cover to cover and you will see a God who time and time and time and time and time took these terrible, unfaithful people back to him every single time, mm-hmm. you know? And... Man, I mean, we reflect that. It's hard, um, and, but God gives grace, you know? Yeah. And again, the best part about talking about this as students is that you don't need to ask about, well, what are the outs though, Sam? I'm just saying, if he goes cra- like the, the, the crazy, thing, <laughs> the crazy thing is that you don't, like in one sense, you don't have to worry about that. You can just focus on the design and you can focus on committing. And all of you, if I do your wedding, 
will be traditional vows, right? I will ask you, the first thing I ask you when you're getting, when we, when we come to premarital, I go, talk to me about your stance on divorce. Is that an out? Well, I think, you know, if like, if a few years down the road something happens, I mean, sure, you guys aren't ready. If you're already thinking about the outs before you got on the ins, you know what I'm saying? So that's why Jesus questions the questioner. Others, most confusing part. That's good. I like that. Good job, Mikey. Gabby, never mind. She's stretching. Caleb, nope, scratching his head. All right. Yeah, Isabella. What's the significance in divorced people not being able to remarry each other again? That was in ancient Israel. So that was in, in that theophany uh, or that uh, theocracy of God. Today, um, th- that's not something that is necessarily the, uh, well, I'm sorry. There's two sides to what you're saying. If two people get divorced, I think they could totally get remarried. I would encourage it. That would, that's the whole point of what we're talking about today. But what he, what he was saying, and this is Kristen's question, if two people get divorced and break the knot and now they go and start their own knot somewhere else, well, now it's impossible to go back to the original knot because you're already in a different knot. So that's the significance is that God, when he makes a permanent divine knot, because again, he sees these as one. Like even this analogy stinks because you can still see the two differences. I should dye this whole thing black. And you're like, I don't know which string is which exactly. And so that's, why, that's the significance. It's that it's so permanent. It's not, you can't do the marriage uh, hokey pokey. I'm in this covenant now and then I take it out and I'm in this covenant now and I'll shake it all about. I'll do the hokey pokey and I'll find another spouse because that's what it's all about. You know, you can't do it. Thank you, thank you. Just off the dome, off the dome. I call that the hokey pokey vows. Yes. Um, others, mo- most confusing part or, or something you appreciate. How many of you still want to be married? You're like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, good, good. I saw two hands over there. I saw two hands, good. All right, question? All right. All right, well, I love you guys. Um, oh, thank you. We're here. Hey, we're here. Here's the thing, like me and Courtney are up here, not just to like teach you about divorce and to answer your questions. Like we're doing things like walking through this with you. You know what I'm saying? Like we're here to when, when you're you know, in college or coming out of college and you're calling home and you're like, Sam, I met this girl. And I'm like, what do I do? Like, we're not gonna be like, dude, you have my podcast. Good luck, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like lpcvan.com, check it out. Like we're here to walk through this with you, right? The relationships that you're forming with your small group leaders, like we don't like cut the line and change our phone numbers when you graduate from high school. You know what I'm saying? Like you're gonna be in our home and we're gonna, and maybe one day you'll bring your, your significant others into your small group leaders' homes. And you know, I mean, Serene, you have sixth graders, so imagine, that's crazy. But uh, yeah, it is, it is a beautiful thing that God, actually, let's end with this. The book of Titus, chapter two, speaking to husbands and wives. <clears throat> Do I have the book of Titus in this one? <clears throat> Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And so older men teach younger men, Older women teach younger women. And in that way, we can ensure that we'll have successful marriages that glorify God and reflect the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen.